Hey everyone, welcome to Leadership Now. My name is Dan Pontefract. Special, special guest today. She's uh, an engagement leadership thinker. She's a practitioner. Gosh, she's uh, ahead of her time. It's Celine Schillinger. And she's been recognized multiple times for innovative engagement initiatives in the corporate world, everywhere basically. She's uh, had a very plentiful career uh, across several continents. Now Celine, she runs her own consultancy, We Need Social. It's an amazing outfit. She helps organizations and leaders create value through engagement and leadership, the active mobilization of internal and external stakeholders at the interplay of technology, management, research, and living systems thinking. Now get this, uh, Celine's based in France. Uh, she was awarded the Medal of the National Order of Merit by the French government in 2017 for her efforts in diversity in the workplace. We're here today not only to talk to Celine about the organization, but she's got a new book, and it's amazing. I was very lucky to be an advanced reader. Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. Celine, it's so good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, the book is, is amazing. And I know that people sometimes say, oh, your book's amazing just to make you feel good. But this is one of those rare instances, for me at least, where as an early reader and just thinking through our careers together, if you will, how we've known each other for 10 plus years, man, you've seriously culminated into something that uh, is both visceral because you're, you're, you're attacking at times leadership and saying, look, we need to do better. Uh, but you provide such a hopeful like methodology, if not kind of, um, I guess, model with, uh, with liberty, equality and fraternity. So let's first of all, let's start with this. Tell us about the book, the why you wrote it, and then we'll get into the what's in it. All right. Thank you so much, Dan. First, I'd like to say that this, book's, this book owes to you uh, a lot because uh, you've been uh, writing inspiring books for a number of years already. Uh, some of these ideas, you know, have planted seeds uh, uh, in my own practice, and I'm sure uh, the practice of many others, too. And you've also been uh, extremely generous in connecting me with this awesome publisher, <laughs> Figure One. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. And as for the, the book, uh, as you noticed, stems from my practice. So it's not a book that comes from theory, you know, from uh, research, which is extremely uh, important, but which I which came in my case after experimenting those uh, new patterns, new new interactions, new forms of new forms of value creation, really in the workplace. So, and it started a little bit by accident, and then intuition, and then the availability of digital technologies, and some you know opportunities that were sized, and and that led to amazing results and I thought oh my god this is businesses organizations need to leverage that instead of being afraid or being resistant or or simply ignoring uh, the possibilities that open up in the modern world thanks to yeah technology and uh, new aspirations also I believe that uh, it's not just a matter of tech it's a matter of what people want, how they relate, how they want to relate with one another, changing values, etc. It seems like the whole world has changed, except leadership. <laughs> right? I'm laughing. That's sad. <laughs> and it's it's crazy, and uh, the the more we keep up with those old recipes, old approaches, etc., which because they seem normal and. and 
many of us lack imagination, frankly, and lack, you know, even seeing the possibility of doing different. But the more we continue that way, the, the less it does good for people, for society, uh, for organizations as well, for business, you know. Uh, so it's really time to change. So you have, uh, like me, spent uh, an inordinate amount of time in the corporate world working in various organizations in various roles in various countries. And then, like me, we both decided to sort of get out uh, and try to help the world from a different vantage point, i.e. in our own consultancies, if you will, as you know, independent companies of one. Um, as you kind of look back at your career, but also as you've just alluded to kind of what today is, what do you see as the cost to this bad leadership and ultimately uh, a not so great organizational culture? Mm. The cost is enormous, is absolutely enormous. It costs us the impossibility to find solutions to our wicked problems that need to be um, solved urgently, like global warming, those kind of things. We, we need people, organizations to get together and seriously tackle those problems. Mm -hmm. And instead, it, it, it seems like, you know, we go on with the flow, we go on, you know, with our processes, bureaucracy, um, sterile hierarchy, toxic leadership, these kind of things. So first, it, it, it prevents us from solving the real problems. Uh, we spend an, more, an more enormous amount of time and energy and resources on um, false problems, <laughs> things that uh, should not take so much of our time and energy. And at the same time, it costs real lives, you know, people's lives. Some people get burnt out at work. Mm -hmm. uh, some people die from uh, poor leadership, for poor, poor leadership decisions. Uh, it costs us also... Um, Social crisis, I believe that populism, resentment, hate, you know, all those kind of tensions stem in a large part from the world of work, uh, which is uh, not adapted to what people have become to, to us humans in the 21st century, and which is um, fueling those divisions and, and resentments. And it's a, it's a shame because organizations, the workplace is the place, in my opinion, where the social collective, this social unity, bonding, you know, could be created. That's where we spend eight hours a day. Uh, that's where we we have this possibility to, to meet, to connect uh, in our diversity, you know, in our social circles at home, it's more difficult to meet uh, different people. So it is a unique opportunity in the workplace. And I'm not just saying that for ethical, moral reasons, which are important, but also for business, you know, efficiency reasons. It is more efficient to work along methods that bring people together in their in their diversity, that create um, a sense of belonging and energy and willingness to contribute, rather than if you try to um, have an orderly army of of robots. You know, that that way only creates obedience, and it's not through obedience that we are uh, able to we are going to be able to solve our, our problems for the future the future is not like after tomorrow it's it's now <laughs> it's actually you know in the next minute so we we need to stop wasting our potential the human potential is huge 
and it's it's time to really leverage it and, and benefit from it. So I was, uh, I mean, shock horror told when I was writing, I think my second book, that there are over a million books published every year, of which many of those are leadership books. And so I'm not trying to frighten. <laughs> and I'm adding one more. <laughs> well, no. So that's actually the question. So what what draws you to write such a compelling book? And again, being an advanced reader, I can say that. Uh, why are what is it that the reader is going to get out of this particular book dare to unlead that isn't already said and i have my own answer to this question but I'm, yeah. i want to hear first from you and you know i asked the question to myself first originally before even writing i i wondered whether it was of any value of any worth you know except for me of course i was interested in researching and exploring why what I'd met, what I'd done, what I experimented worked. Why, what wasn't there that, that explained its many successes? Mm -hmm. So there was a curiosity factor at the beginning, but still it wasn't enough to uh, get me to write. And I had a conversation with Myron Rogers, who um, has inspired my work a lot, a specialist of living systems. And I said, Myron, what is it? What can I write? Uh, everything has been said already. Yeah. And he said, yeah, you, you know, your ideas may not be original, but your synthesis will be. Oh, what a lovely line. And I it was a very that, lovely line. And it unlocked yeah. for me. It was like really like, oh, OK, new ideas. I may not come up with new ideas. You know, everything has been said for 5,000 years, uh, indeed. <laughs> but but uh, a, a, new a new synthesis or a personal synthesis, this I can do. And I almost feel I have a duty to do it because my, my voice expresses the voice of many others. All those people I have worked with, those frontline workers, those activists, those middle managers, etc. All those people who I know because I've seen that have this enormous desire to contribute to better business, to better organizations, and who are prevented from doing that by the very nature of our organizations. And it's a shame. And, and it, it, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't do that harm to people and to our businesses. So I'm, I'm, having a, I'm feeling a, a, a responsibility to carry those voices forward, to, to have them heard, to show the world what is possible with average people. Not, you know, you don't need the superstar, you know, leader, expert, whatever. Everything is already there. You, you already have this power of, of knowledge, of, of goodwill, of, you know, sense of purpose. It's already there in our organizations. We're just not seeing it and, and frankly, sometimes stepping on it. Um, and it's not right. Yeah, there's a lot of squashing of uh, our yeah. humanity in the organization, which you call out in the book. But then again, you are hopeful and also such a Sherpa and a guide. And I think you bring the the French in you into the book somewhat, obviously. Uh, again, back to sort of liberté, equality, and fraternity. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So in English, obviously, liberty, equality, and fraternity. So why did you sort of bring, if you will, like uh, almost the mm -hmm. France credo? Uh, into the book as columns or pillars to help the reader through what is ultimately, you know, your take on how we 
how we how we become engaged in our places of work yeah originally i wanted to i i was looking for a way to structure my my thoughts and it sort of came as a almost like a playful you know idea playful intuition but i something i i tested with um my my editor uh, richard martin i said richard would that be crazy to work along those lines and he said well no why not i mean it's it's your cultural uh, grounding so it will be uh, it will resonate somehow it will be interesting you know go ahead and, and explore that and you'll see if it works and the more I, I worked along those lines the more I actually realized that it did uh, open up a lot of possibilities because these are values they're not just French values I believe they are quite universal values or aspiration to be free uh, to be equal to one another and to uh, to form a community to, to sense this this brotherhood sisterhood you know we I feel they are rather universal and um, if you look at the current state of organizations they are pretty revolutionary <laughs> honestly because liberty you know uh, is often seen as a, a source of chaos uh, something that you, we should limit restrain constrict you know regulate etc equality is uh, is not well handled uh, in companies, in organizations, especially when it when we deal with diversity. Um, it, it's it's difficult for organizations to know what to do with people who are so different, you know, who have so different aspirations. So these tend to filter, sort, compartmentalize, you know, yeah. segment, uh, so that diversity in the end uh, um, becomes something really manageable. So you end up with the default man, <laughs> the <laughs> default manager, you know, and everybody else and, and all the richness of this diversity, this pool of people is um, actually disappears and is not, is not uh, leveraged as a, as an engine, as a, as a fuel for um, economic and social progress. Um, it's sometimes, you know, just like uh, celebrated uh, or, or more as a compliance matter. You know, you have the diversity department or you have the diversity KPIs, but but the whole the essence of diversity is actually lost in, in organizations, and you have those patterns of domination and submission which are as well extremely detrimental to collective intelligence i believe and then well, fraternity yeah. is uh, is often a fake you know um, we work together therefore we're a family which is fake nobody believes that so how do we create real togetherness you know well and again in in fraternity right you're kind of getting into that shared commitment mm -hmm. to that common cause and you can see it even in these days where you know, Amazon has seen finally a union uh, membership take place in the United States to the sort of chagrin of corporate Amazon. And mm -hmm. Howard Schultz is back at Starbucks and he's come out recently as CEO, I should say, and come out and said, um, yeah, I would squash any union that tries to, you know, find their way. And what you're saying with a with a touch of delicacy is that actually it's not necessarily the unions that are necessary, mm -hmm. but in fraternity, it's about that common cause. So as almost to prevent the activist movement from taking over, you're just basically taking care of one another. Is that a fair exactly. assumption on your part? Yes, exactly. I believe there there is 
enormous uh, an enormous amount of um, insights uh, we can get from activist movements and instead of um, um, putting that away uh, as much as possible I believe we we'd rather we would benefit enormously from importing that in the workplace importing the the, the dynamics the tools the mechanism of activism how can we transform our business from an engineering mindset, uh, which is an inheritance from the past, from a mechanistic approach to organizations, into a, a, a movement um, which builds togetherness through action, through mm -hmm. common action in the service of a shared cause. I don't think togetherness can be created by words, by, by communication. I think it's, it's way too shallow. It doesn't work. Um, but common action, joint action, which um, enables people from all the organization to connect to one another through multiple in, in multiple ways, uh, multiple formats, patterns, etc., is what creates mutual recognition and, and trust. And it's, uh, it's about building this and reinforcing constantly because it's a process. It's never you know, done and then you can move to something else. Uh, constantly reinforcing the social capital in the organization. So yes, for focusing on the business, yes, focusing on KPIs, it's important, et cetera. But if you don't beforehand pay attention and really dedicate a lot of effort to building and consolidating this social capital, every other effort will be wasted. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a waste of time and, and money. And uh, yes, so if you can, if you believe you can shortcut to um, uh, ensuring quality, operational excellence, et cetera, through this engineering cause and impact, you know, mechanism, well, I'm sorry to say <laughs> the times have changed and uh, it no longer works. Uh, we got time for a few more questions. So one I want to get to is, uh, we've both been influenced by the likes of uh, John Husband, mm. uh, John Cotter. In the book, you not only pay homage to giants before us, uh, mm. and thank you for that. Many people don't cite, and you've done that with a plethora across your back. Yes, but quite a like, lot. The um, the traditional organization, you know, mm. hierarchy, you know. Are we at the end of authority? These are some of the themes that you've got in the book. And, and really the question is, well, are we? <laughs> are mm -hmm. we at the end of authority? Can the traditional organization be uh, upgraded to what you propose in the book? I think we have uh, changed our relationship to authority. And we are now almost between two worlds between uh, some a, a large group of people who are nostalgic mm -hmm. for old uh, approaches you know and uh, who'd like to get back to the old world um, and new generations who refuse uh, to to be crushed by those old patterns and so oh it's difficult you know in, in organizations where you now have sometimes five generations working yeah. Uh, together how do you do um, my belief is that it's no need i mean no need regret the past because the past is the past it's gone yeah. all right so we need to do with what we have now and in fact what we have now offers a lot of possibilities a lot of opportunities so it can be actually even better it does take work to adapt our behaviors though 
it takes you know work to to learn to educate ourselves to to talk with one another to be curious to what those young generations are thinking and but i think it's not just a matter of age um it, it would be too simple uh, it's really a matter of being more open and more comfortable in the in the uncomfortable <laughs> uh, being more open to to complexity and uh, it takes action, not just, you know, my door is open and you can uh, come and talk to me. Right. <laughs> this is, uh, this doesn't work at all. So yes, uh, we have changed. Um, it, it doesn't mean that we need to let go of everything of the past, huh? but we need to be probably better at uh, distinguishing what in the past has stopped serving us. What is still serving us, for example, I still think that hierarchy, the hierarchical structure is useful in large organizations. I don't, honestly, I don't think you can do without it, uh, but you can remove um, those patterns of domination and submission from the hierarchy, for example, and evolve it more towards a hierarchy, you know, thanks to networks and the dynamics of activism, for example. So, uh, so yeah, I've, I pay tribute to a lot of those thinkers uh, who've inspired um, inspired us before, and I'm happy to count among all those. I think I, I have like 600 references or something in the book, and I'm happy that 40% of them are from women. Excellent. Uh, it was an important. Um, um, action and an important act for me to to establish coherence you know coherence between what i say what i advocate for and what i do so it's not 50 percent, but uh, i was very deliberate still in, in finding as many um, women's voices as i could because uh, those voices are important uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, as a sidebar note for my last book, I asked four women and four women only if they'd be considering uh, to blurb my book because I felt it was time to actually up the ante and not have a 50-50 split, but actually do more. So uh, I, I hear you. <laughs> Speaking of women, I wanted to bring up your your whole point about transformative technology and how um, technology can play a part in the democracy, if you will, of the culture and of better leadership. And so the woman I want to bring up is the, the woman, the woman whom we met through, which is Susan Skrupski, you know, the founder of the 2.0 Adoption Council back in the late uh, aughts, sort of mm -hmm. 2007, 2008, around there. Mm -hmm. And so here we are uh, 14, 15 years later, you and I are still friends. Uh, mm -hmm. And here you are with Adair to Unlead. How does how have you seen the evolution of technology from back when we met in those late, mm. you know, 2000, 2009 era to today? And how can we potentially tap into the technology in your sort of dare to unlead uh, mm. model and manuscript? Mm. Uh, so a, a huge, I have a huge amount of, rec of um, gratitude for Susan, not only for what she did op opening the, the doors to uh, the change agents worldwide community, which was uh, a wonderful place to seek comfort yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. when things were, were hard uh, in the workplace. Uh, so this gathering, these uh, like-minded people, um, uh, you know, this community building effort is not lost. Um, it's, it's always important. So whatever the size of the community doesn't matter. Uh, so huge gratitude for, for that, but also for who 
Susan is mm. uh, extremely aligned with her values, taking risks, taking personal risks to defend what she believes in and supporting you know, women and uh, uh, victims of domestic violence, for example. So I have a huge admiration for her. And at that time when we got together, so I joined uh, the, 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 the movement in around 2011 when I opened up to this field. So I was already late compared to many of you, um, but in advance to many other people in, in large organizations. And at that time I felt an enormous um, hope uh, in technology, in particular in, in social technology, you know, the, the, the enterprise social network was seen, and I still believe it is, yeah. as a transformative uh, technology, not, uh, not just for the scale of people it enables to connect, but also for the, um, yeah, the transformative transformational effect it has on on conversation precisely getting rid enabling to uh, at least uh, remove a lot of this domination uh, submission you know hierarchical kind of thinking um, the old boys club kind of um, communication style etc so there was a lot of hope um, I believe some of this hope is unfortunately gone now because the technology although it, it is now better i mean more widespread uh, across organizations and covid has helped uh, a lot but it is still used unfortunately in many places as a loudspeaker mm. as a as a platform for you know executives to talk to more people uh, Elon Musk could be an example of that from a, yeah. a, per, a so, public perspective. So creating this dialogue, this flow, this uh, mutual recognition, etc., is not really happening. And you see, with uh, features enabled by some of those tech platforms, like um, posting on behalf of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I think it doesn't help really. Uh, it's really counterproductive. So it's a, it's a shame to see uh, wasted potential. I but I still remain optimistic. Um, there are still, but you know, it's it's always the same thing. Technology should not be at the core of whatever action. It's the the purpose. You you talked about this. The purpose effect. What is it we're trying to do? And I even read something the other day where somebody said it's not the purpose. It's the identity. Yes, identity is also extremely important. Well, if your purpose is aligned with your identity, mm, you can do miracles. It's fine. And then technology is an enabler. It's it's not, you know, the starting point of transformation. Otherwise, it will just um, just reproduce, just uh, support a continuous reproduction of what you already do. You know, what you all already have. It's it won't be transformational at all. Uh, and that, that's a pity because it's millions invested, lots of time, lots of energy for very little. But we All can right. do better. <laughs> so penultimate <laughs> question before we find out where we can find more about you. Uh, you're walking down the street with someone, uh, you've never met them before, and all of a sudden you say, hey, I've just published my first book, Dare to Unlead. What's, what's your snapshot of what this book is about to help inform them uh, of why mm -hmm. they might, might get the book? 
Mm. Uh, earlier today, I was uh, I went to have lunch with a friend and I brought this book to show it to him. So I was in the subway with my book and I was hoping that people would be attracted by this beautiful yeah. cover and ask me about it, but uh, nobody did. So <laughs> here's your chance. Here's your chance. Yeah, yeah. Here's my chance. <laughs> So, Dare to Unlead is a book uh, that talks about new forms, new practices of leadership, which I believe are um, more suitable to what humans have become and to what businesses expect today. This focus on um, leadership as an individual skill set uh, linked to decisiveness, to confidence, uh, that, that brings a sense of superiority to, to some people above, you know, sitting above others, uh, I believe is extremely toxic. It's really time to end our romance with leadership, uh, to consider that uh, this very belief is actually fueling our problems. Uh, it is part of the problem and definitely not part of the solution. So I offer another perspective on leadership, which is informed by my very practice, uh, together with many other people, hundreds of people globally. So it's not, you know, a French or American kind of thing. It, it really, it works globally across extremely different cultures. It works from a senior leadership to frontline worker. So I've seen it work. I've seen the magic that it produces and i i can't wait to you know offer that to and and by design i didn't create a framework i didn't you know or create any proprietary whatever um, because it's up to people to to invent their their what works for them in their context mm -hmm. i'm offering three pathways uh, but nothing limiting so that they um, they brainstorm, think, reflect, and create. I think it's really time to also end our addiction to solutions, uh, which is also a big part of the problem. So this is not a solution book. Uh, it is a, a reflection starter book. Well, I've always loved reflecting with you on the state of our leadership and organizations. Celine Schillinger, author of Dare to Unlead, The Art of Relational Leadership in a Fragmented World. Where can people find more about you and this wonderful book, Celine? Thank you, Dan. They can find more on my website, weneedsocial.com, and on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, everywhere, everywhere else. <laughs> Well, you are a, uh, a wonderful person, of an extremely diligent thought leader. You're caring, you're compassionate, you. uh, but you're also to the point. And you, you, you really leave no stone unturned uh, in this manuscript and from the perspective of, you know, what's not working. And here's that pathway, as you suggest, of what, uh, what you might consider in creating your own, you know, leadership structure your own leadership uh, DNA. So thank you for putting this into the world. Uh, I've been waiting for it for a decade, and I'm so glad now that it's out there. Celine, thanks for joining us here at Leadership Now. Thank you so much, Dan.